Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text is the gospel reading from Luke. Please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, you remember last week's gospel from John 2? Oh, tons of joy. Remember that? Water into wine. The best wedding wine ever. Lots of wine and even a divine excuse to drink it. Ah, yeah, what fun that is. But today, not so much. The gospel reading ends with a very peeved and irked congregation. So displeased that they attempt to throw Jesus off the cliff. And it all takes place when Jesus makes his first messianic appearance in the place where he, where he grew up. Going home, in our Lord's case, is a double-edged sword. After all, the hometown folks are incredibly familiar to you. They've watched you grow up. Nazareth's synagogue was eager to hear the Lord Jesus preach. Expectations were running high as the rumors spread concerning his miraculous powers. Perhaps hometown Nazareth was expecting to see a few miracles as well. After all, this is our Lord's hometown. No doubt you could hear a pin drop when Jesus stood up, took the scroll with Isaiah on it from the attendant, and began to read. Now, Isaiah's prophecy is about who? The Messiah, the Savior, and how the Messiah would be anointed with the Holy Spirit to preach the good news and to work miracles. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus then hands the scroll back to the attendant, and then, then, then he takes a seat. Why does he do that? Well, in the synagogue, that's where the preacher or the teacher would sit. And every eye is on him, and every ear is open, and eager to hear what Jesus will say. And what he preaches blows them away. It shocks them, and it even offends them. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It begins to dawn on them what Jesus is claiming. Fulfilled. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus? Jesus is the Messiah? Really? Ah, can't be. No way. This is Joseph's boy. He sawed, he planed, he sanded, he nailed, he glued, and he stained wood. He played soccer with our kids in the street. He learned Hebrew and all the Bible stories with all our kids at synagogue school. Who does he think he is? They're outraged and incensed and they're furious. We would have the same reaction, especially if we had watched Jesus grow up just like these folks did at Nazareth. It's hard enough to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, but it's downright scandalous when you've watched the Word made flesh grow up right before your very eyes, the kid next door, Joseph's boy. How do we say it? Familiarity breeds contempt. Or at least doubt. That's why no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, Jesus says. How could Jesus have grown up in that dense community and someone not realize that there was something different about Joseph's kid? <laughs> the surprising answer is this. Holiness can be hidden. Our Lord's divinity can be completely buried beneath his humanity. 
so that there was no unearthly glow about this Jesus. There was no halo above his head with writing on it to identify him. Nothing like that. Now, you know what people say when they doubt. Talk's cheap. Prove it. Show it, Jesus. Do a miracle like the one you did at Cana. Or to quote Herod in Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar, prove to me that you're no fool. Walk across my swimming pool. You've seen that and heard that, right? <laughs> this speaks to our, listen carefully, this speaks to our wrong-headed and wrong-hearted notions of miracle. Miracles, generally speaking, are not for believers, but they are for unbelievers. They are for those who do not have the word. Miracles are rare, exceedingly rare. Otherwise, they would not be called what? Miracles or signs or wonders. If you can, and I grow up with this language all the time, if you can expect a miracle, then it isn't one. If you can have miracles on demand, like streaming TV or Grubhub, then it's neither a sign nor a wonder, but it's rather just a part of the ordinary order of creation. If water turned into wine every day, like it did at Cana, it wouldn't be considered miraculous. And guess who would be out of business? Napa Valley. The Nazareth Synagogue, they've got the word. They had just heard the prophetic words spoken to them by the word incarnate. What more could they possibly have needed? What more do we need than the word in all of its marvelous forms? Oh, we think we need what? We need more. Remember, the old Adam is a religious junkie of the highest order. Our sinful flesh, the old Adam, loves signs and wonders, which, as Jesus himself reminds us, can even deceive the elect. Jesus knows. Yes, he did miracles for the fringes, for those on the outskirts, for those dwelling in darkness, for those who do not have Moses and the prophets. Yes, Jesus did miracles for his fellow Israelites, healing the sick, cleansing the leprous, raising the dead. But those miracles were all pointers signposts to something greater. Miracles are not the end in themselves. And when they become that, they become what? A kind of idolatry, a false religion. The greatest thing that could be said in the synagogue at Nazareth was the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of God had hit its target. The Spirit of God was seeking to work faith through ears, renewing minds and hearts. Now Jesus in the text, he knows what's on their minds. Physician, heal thyself. Prove it. But Jesus offers no proof. They had the prophets. They had what Moses wrote. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They had God's word. So Jesus reminds them that there were many hungry widows in Israel at the time of Elijah, but only the widow of Zarephath had her oil and her grain multiplied. 
Jesus reminded them that there were many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha, but only Naaman, the commander of the enemy Syrian army, was cleansed in the Jordan. You would think that Israel had an inside line on miracles, but you'd be wrong. Those were outsiders, the widow and Naaman, even enemies of Israel. All those hungry widows and only an outsider, the widow at Zarephath, gets the miracle. All those lepers in Israel, all those diseased Israelites, and only the enemy, Naaman, gets the miracle. When bad things happen to believers, sometimes believers say, where are you, God? Why haven't you done anything? I hear this all the time from lifelong Lutherans, especially the Lutherans who jump through the hoop of confirmation, but who never go to church, who never pray, and never read God's word. They shake their fist at God and they scream at him, where are you? Why did this happen? Why won't you do anything? And those questions betray the hellacious sin of unbelief. Yes, that's right, I said it. Unbelief. I say that because God has indeed done something. Something much more significant and far-reaching than an isolated miracle. Jesus, his beloved son, suffered with the sin of the world in his crucified body, stapled to a tree, and he got damned with it all. Jesus bore humanity's sin. He bore the world's brokenness. He carried in his body the curse of the law, every disease known to man, and yes, even death itself. Jesus bore all of that at one time for all time in his death on the cross. One man for all humanity. So miracles pale by comparison to the Good Friday's cross on which Jesus, the Son of God, hangs. In fact, I would contend that all the miracles in the New Testament point to the cross and they find their source in Jesus' death because every miracle costs Jesus his life. Miracles are usually for one person only, the recipient of the miracle, the widow at Zarephath, Naaman the Syrian, and if you don't get your miracle, well, what's your reaction? You're so disappointed, right? Or perhaps you're angry, and maybe you too want to throw Jesus off the cliff and then worship another religion. The cross is for everyone without exception. Miracles, they are temporary, a band-aid applied to a wound. The cross, oh, the cross is eternal. It alone is the cure for the malignant disease of death. Miracles treat the symptoms. The cross deals with the cause. Miracles, they can't save you. The cross does. Miracles do not forgive sins or give you eternal life, but the cross does. The cross is your forgiveness, your life, and your salvation. Brothers and sisters, you can, listen carefully, 
you can survive a lifetime drought of miracles. In fact, you can never experience one ever in your life and you can survive it. But you cannot survive a drought of the word and especially the preaching of Christ crucified and risen for you. So brothers and sisters, you here at Trinity have the word as surely as that synagogue in Nazareth on the day that Jesus preached it to them. You have the word of God in your baptism, God's signature seal upon you that you are his and he is yours. You have the word and the word of forgiveness, that absolving word preached into your ears, fulfilled in your hearing. You have the word of Christ today in his supper, speaking to you. It's my body and it's my blood given and shed for you. You have the word in greater richness and abundance than any generation before in the history of God's people. And that is the singular evidence of our sinful condition and that the old Adam in us, that we value it so little. I speak in general, we're bored stiff with God's word. We don't take the opportunity to study it when it's offered. We don't flock to hear and receive it from the pastor that God gives us. And we, like the Nazareth synagogue, would rather throw Jesus off a cliff rather than deal with his what? His word. Brothers and sisters, faith comes how? It comes by hearing, hearing the word. Your faith comes by your hearing the word of Jesus. And that word is here for you today, seeking its fulfillment in your hearing. So by the word of Jesus, I tell you, you are forgiven. By the word of Jesus, you are fed. By the word of Jesus, your faith is created and sustained for the long haul. And by the word of Jesus, you have the freedom from sin, from death, and from the devil, and from the damning sentence of the law. All in the word of Jesus delivered to you, which today is fulfilled in your hearing and in your believing. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Never, ever take it away from us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.